0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 77. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. At the end of the show, I'll be doing a mini interview with Home Goods designer Melanie Abrantes about her beautiful website and the lessons she's learned. As you may have noticed, the sound on this intro and outro for this episode may not sound the same as usual, and that is because I'm recording in Chicago in a hotel room rather than using my fancy mic in Austin. My husband, Mr. Lively, and I have been traveling for the last week or so, and we still have several days to go on this trip. So this is where I'm recording from. Don't worry, though. In the middle of this episode, the main meat of that interview, that is on the regular mic, so no sound concerns there. For anyone with little children listening with you right now, you may want to skip this episode in particular because this episode includes the B word. So there is some swearing in here. If that's not something you want your children to listen to, please skip this one and go on to a different episode. And now let's talk about today's show. This episode is with Nicole Lappin of NicoleLappin.com. Nicole is a financial journalist and someone who is out there trying to help women take control of their financial destiny. She's also the author of Rich Bitch, and she was the youngest anchor ever on CNN and CNBC. So we're going to talk about how she got that lifelong goal accomplished at such a young age. And she's going to be giving her financial advice to us so that we can start asking the questions that we need to ask in order to make our financial dreams a reality. Let's go to the show.
1: Thank you so much for coming on The Lively Show. What a better way to kick off my 2015 than hanging out with Jess Lively. Hello.
0: (laughs) Let's get started and talk about your background and how you got to where you are because you got to part of where you are so quickly. I'm fascinated.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate your fascination. I actually was the least likely suspect to get into the business news world I grew up in an immigrant family with no Wall Street journal on the kitchen counter there was no discussion about stocks bonds anything whatsoever and if you know anybody that grew up in kind of a first generation American household everything is in cash which like sounds very <laughs> cool mobster style but actually I was so blissfully unaware at that point about anything like stocks or bonds or I had a boyfriend in high school who said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager and I thought he wanted to be in gardening. So <laughs> I was definitely clueless. And then I got a job when I was 18 on the floor of the Chicago Merck and the major stock exchanges in Chicago. And I learned this language that stumped me for so long and really freaked me out very quickly. And I learned in the best school there is, as you know, Jess, the school of hard knocks. And I taught myself this language of money and I realized like it actually wasn't that complicated. And so I continued on my journalistic work Way to CNN. I started there when I was 21 and moved over to Atlanta. How
0: at 21? Because I know it's a record. Oh, thank you. You also broke the record for CNBC, right?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes. I started anchoring at CNBC when I was 25. I moved uh, from Atlanta to New York and anchored the early morning show there.
0: How did that happen so soon? I mean, I was still in college when I was 21. How are you anchoring for CNN? (laughs)
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, I really didn't think I would get the job. Honestly, I went in, they called me, I was a local news reporter at a bunch of different CBS stations across the country. And I knew that my goal in life was to be an anchor on CNN. And I would say like in some of these little papers that would ask me questions, because I was younger, even in those local news markets. And there's was like, 19, maybe. And so they called me like Doogie Hauser or something when <laughs> I was a little cuter than Doogie Hauser. But I would say if I could say Nicole Lapton CNN before I die, I'll die a happy woman. And like I got there when I was 21. And so I didn't want to die. <laughs> I had, you know, screen tests and all that stuff. I remember coming out of the gate at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport and seeing like a little sign with my name on it and a guy who was like my chauffeur. And I thought I died. They put me in the intercontinental hotel. I'll never forget how smushy that bed was. And I was like, I'm obviously not going to get this job because they know I was 20 at the time. I was like, they know how old I am. They're definitely not calling me back. But like, this is amazing that I even got inside the CNN center. But lo and behold, I guess I did something right. And yeah, I started there right after I turned 21 and I was there for four years anchoring and reporting.
0: Did you go to college at this time? Were you anchoring at 19 for local news stations while in school or what was going on to get you even anchoring so young? Okay, Jess.
1: So you're obviously way cooler than I am. I was a big loser and nerd. I still am a big nerd, but I went to school really early. I started Northwestern and I was working in these local news markets and going to school at the same time to try and like expedite my, you know, dream of being at CNN. And yes, I was graduated by the time I worked at CNN, but I was working full-time as a local news reporter outside of Los Angeles for a CBS station right before then. So I worked in like little markets, Lexington, Kentucky, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, while I was still in school. So I tried to like double time. I started my first real on-air job in Lexington, Kentucky. And I lived there, was a reporter there, covered like worm farming, everything. I worked in South Dakota in the middle of winter, like shoveled snow, ice picked my news van, like edited (laughs) in the back. I totally paid my dues. And then I got this job on the floor of the exchange as a business reporter, kind of by accident. And I did a little fake it till you make it action, which a lot of us do. And I was like, yeah, I totally know about business news, even though, you know, as I told you, like, I really didn't. I grew up totally clueless about the world of money, I really just taught myself because I had this great opportunity and I did it. And I never knew that I would fall in love with this language and be so passionate about teaching my former self, who was totally smiling and nodding when her boyfriend said he wanted to be in hedge funds, having no idea how to join those conversations. I was kind of embarrassed. Once I was able to speak this language, I realized, you know, it's a language just like anything else. And a lot of people feel scared to even join a conversation about money Or look at the Wall Street Journal. Like that used to break me out into hives. So once I figured out how to speak this language, I wanted to be the Rosetta Stone, so to speak, for other young ladies.
0: What made you so focused on being an anchor at CNN? What started that spark? Because it seems that whatever that was got you to the financial, not the other way around.
1: Girl, you're getting deep. I like it. I feel like I should be laying on some sort of psychologist's couch (laughs) right now. If you need to lay down right now, you can. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? You know, it was funny because sometimes you're drawn to the things that you're not supposed to do. And growing up, I actually wasn't allowed to watch the news. And I used to like flip on CNN when I was really little and have Family Ties or ELF on Recall. So when somebody would walk by, I would have like the Gulf War on and then quickly switch back to some very G rated show that I actually was allowed to watch. And so I became fascinated really early on because actually wasn't allowed to watch tv news so that's where the fascination and the rebelliousness started
0: what did you find so fascinated about it because i probably found the news very very boring so what made you so fascinated by i mean i'd rather watch the elf i think to be
1: quite honest probably still do i love the skim (laughs) it's my news source Here's the thing, so do I. And my message you know, now is that it's cool to read Us Weekly. It's cool to read The Skim. It's cool to, whatever, watch cartoons. But also, it's fine to have The Economist as well. And it's fine to have a little bit of smarty pants content. And for me, I always loved the action that was going on in news and that we were writing the first draft of history. And I could see women a la Christiane Amanpour, give a voice to those who didn't have a voice. I thought that was really powerful, and I wanted to be part of it. And I wanted to also, as paliana ish as this sounds, be able to contribute to writing the first draft of history. And I think we're living in a fascinating time, especially in the economy. And I was really lucky to be able to contribute to that very rough first draft of history, reporting and breaking news. You know, It gets amended the morning after with papers and then news magazines weekly and then books ultimately ultimately. But for me, it was really amazing to be on the pulse of what was going on in our culture and our society.
0: Now, let's go back to your family history, because you said you're you know, immigrant family. But also,
1: didn't one of your family members get nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize? Um, yes, my father uh, was a acclaimed surgeon who was up for a Nobel Prize in medicine. He was a brilliant man. He passed away when I was quite young. So that's why I also I was driven to start working early on and make a name for myself. Folks who were haters, we talked a little bit offline about this, but you know, absolutely. I have many a hater. And, you know, when you walk into CNN really early on, people think, oh, daddy must have made a call. But my father died when I was young. And so I really didn't have those connections. But it drove me to m- make my own name. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So let's go to 20. You're in there. You're not expecting them to give you the job. Why do you think you really got the job? If you are to be completely honest, fly in the wall. What do you think got you in that chair?
1: At that time, we were launching something called CNN Pipeline, and may it rest in peace, they closed it down about five years ago. But it was the first live streaming news service, which sounds normal right now, but 10 years ago, it was really the first of its kind. And CNN has always prided itself on the idea that you think outside the octagon. They never even said, like, think outside the box, because that was too cliché. It was a time when they were experimenting with online news, and and I was part of that. Even though I was young by age, I didn't feel young. I feel like I grew up really fast. But I was able to sort of bridge a gap in the news dialogue between up-and-comers and CEOs and politicians, and I could speak both languages because for so long I had kind of gone mano a mano with CEOs and politicians and newsmakers, but part of a generation of up-and-comers. I like to think that I was able to sort of bridge the communication gap.
0: I love that. So yeah, you're right. Like right place, right time, because you were the perfect fit for what is an online streaming news source. Did you face a lot of pressure with all of these achievements so early on? And was that pressure external or internal?
1: Sister child. Oh my God. Did I face a lot of pressures early on and were those internal or external? My goodness. You know, I think as I was really building my career. Yes. I think I was just really laser focused and I really had blinders on and I really was in a mission. You know, I think you talked about on your blog, uh, buying a coach purse in addition to binge eating candy bars and trying new lipsticks and stuff like that. I really was an old lady at that time. It's funny. Cause I talk about growing young. Like I at 21 felt like I was 50. And now I feel much closer to my age. I tried to be older at that time. I went and shopped at Ann Taylor and I wore shoulder pads and I teased my hair and I tried to sort of like give myself a faux sense of gravitas. I didn't own jeans. I really didn't have much of a childhood, so to speak. That sounds like so devastating, but it really wasn't like that. Since I was working so early on, I grew up really quickly. And so I think in the last decade of my life, the internal pressure that you talk about for me was actually to grow young and to feel comfortable with my age and to not overdue like youth, realize that it's an asset, but that you don't have to go balls to the wall and be crazy. And I was at CNN during the time that Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and all this craziness was happening with young women in our generation. And I felt so disconnected from that. So it wasn't going to that extreme. Certainly, it was sort of giving a new voice and a new picture of what young women are, were, and can do. And so that was really important to me. So now at 30, I feel 30. At 2021, 20, I, I felt much older. So we'll see what happens. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna turn a Benjamin button, but. How is dating when you
0: felt 50, but you are 2021? Did you wanna date guys your own age, or did you feel like they were too young because they were interested in different things than you?
1: It was difficult, you know, in my book, I talk about dating and I talk about the boyfriends that I have aside from the hedge fund guy who, by the way, dumped me because I couldn't speak the language of Wall Street with his Wall Street friends. Little does he know, or maybe he doesn't. <laughs> oh, that he's totally eating his heart out and his friends definitely wanna hang out with me now. I think for me it was difficult to find a balance and that's something that we all struggle with. The opposite of a rich bitch in my mind, which you know, I talk about in my book, is a rich dude who like isn't rich in money, but rich in life and rich in experience and rich in knowing himself and collecting adventures. And for me, that was something really important to find somebody as equally motivated as I was, which was really tough because almost to a fault, I was so hyper ambitious at that point in my life. So no, it it was difficult to date for sure.
0: Do you still feel the same level of hyper ambition now? Or where are you at with that?
1: You know, my book is a 12-step program. I wish there was a 12-step program for hyper ambition. Maybe it's just a cocktail at the end of the day. I think that I've really become more comfortable in my own skin. My 20s, it was a big journey for me to own my faults. When I started out, I really wanted to like keep a very veneered picture of who I was and not sort of let on that I was struggling For me, keeping it real was more and more easy as my 20s went along. I I think right now I feel most comfortable in my own skin and I'm really happy, maybe even to a fault, to talk about all the ways I've messed up in my life. (laughs) Whereas 10 years ago, I would have been mortified to talk about anything flawed or any story that had warts and all.
0: How did you overcome any of the obstacles that came up throughout that journey, or even now? Is there any obstacles that you're working on through all of the career things?
1: Oh my God, how much time do you have? (laughs) I have obstacles every single day. For me, it was about figuring out how to use my voice in an authentic way. I think as I went through my career in the news world, there was this sort of rise of advocacy journalism and, and being really emotive on air, which really kind of started happening around Hurricane Katrina. Where Anderson Cooper was more like of a human, if I can say that, than like a stoic anchorman voice of God. And that's when I think this shift started to happen, where for me, I went to Medill School of Journalism. Like I'm a card-carrying member of the Fourth Estate. They drilled into my head that the stories were never about you. They were about the people that you were covering. And that's really where my passion for journalism started, in trying to give a voice to those who didn't have a voice. And then it was never about me. It was really about the story. And so I had to kind of feel comfortable in sharing where I came from and my journey as well, because I think during this rise, the audience craved that in a way that was really unexpected for me. And I needed to sort of feel comfortable in saying, okay, well, here's why you should listen to me. I started a series called Young People Who Rock at CNN. And people said to me, like, why do you want to tell this story? You grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth. And I was like, actually, no, I didn't. I've struggled too. And that's why I want to feature people who have overcome amazing things, because I've also been there, done that. So I think there's more authenticity. And I think there's more trust that you find in your viewer, if you're just super real, because we all have issues. Especially when it comes to finance. When I first started covering it, I wanted to make it seem like, you know, I know everything, but I don't. Nobody knows everything. And when you think you know everything, you should die because (laughs) frankly, we're learning something new every single day. And even the best business minds don't know about other sectors potentially. So for me, when I was at CNBC, I had to be so comfortable in my own skin to ask seemingly dumb questions but they were actually the questions that people wanted to know too and I just had to remember like I'm smart I'm here for a reason and you know what if I don't understand something somebody else won't but you don't have to pretend like you're asking a really smart question because that doesn't help anybody okay let's talk about the finances
0: let's get in there so did you because of your training so early on always have a good understanding of it what was your personal life with finances like
1: I have messed up many things along the way. I got myself in debt when I first moved to Atlanta. I had to um, because I needed new outfits, of course, because I deserved it for a new job that I had. I wasn't able to join basic money conversations in my personal life until I was, until I actually realized that it's a language like everything else. And once you speak the language, you can stop smiling and nodding. So that's why I really wanted to reach my former self who was a little bit clueless. You know, I never had a book that spoke to me, that spoke my language that I could actually understand and that you didn't need a dictionary for the definition. So personal finance for me and learning that was a Lot of mess ups along the way. And I like to say, you know, in my book right now, that if you can laugh at me. I'll take it for the team as long as you smile when you think about money. Because I think women will rather talk about anything. It's our weight or relationships, our bikini waxes, whatever, before we talk about money. It's a dirty little topic that I wasn't able to find camaraderie around. You know, in my book, I even say women will talk about blowjobs and diarrhea before we talk about money. Like we will talk about everything. And I wanted to blow the lid off the topic and blow the lid off the taboo and You know, I admit my salary. I say what I make. We conducted a study with Nielsen that said that women will rather admit their weight than talk about the salary they make. And I think that's silly. I think if we all talked about it, we would be helping each other. So that's my goal. That's my mission above everything else. And how did you get the name Rich Bitch for the book? I really wanted it to be the first personal finance book that swore. (laughs) (laughs) It ended up being that. Setting all kinds of records, Nicole (laughs) Lapin. What can I say? Yes. Thank you. This is like up there with all my other accolades. All kidding aside, like it has attitude. It has confidence. It's real language. It makes personal finance aspirational. It's not about deprivation. It's about aspiration. And for me, I think women want to be financially independent, but they also don't want to be talked down to. They want to be talked to in a real way and hear real stories because this is the only way that this thing is going to resonate. You know, I was reporting on the forefront of the greatest financial crisis of our time. And I can tell you that there's a new normal. It's not about the American dream. It's about your dream. It's about your destiny and you don't want to be preached to. And so I like to try to figure out how to make this stuff that might seem complicated and you might want to break out into hives like I did, admittedly so, more entertaining and more interesting. And you don't need a man or you don't need the right schooling or you don't need to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth in order to be a rich bitch. Being a rich bitch means that you don't have to be either to be both. You don't have to be a bitch in the traditional sense and you don't have to be rich in order to live a rich, full life you're proud of in all aspects of the words. So I like to talk about money in a way that every story goes back to money. As a news anchor, I can tell you that every story goes back to money. It touches every single aspect of our life, from relationships to negotiating your salary. I like to be sneak attack financial content where it doesn't feel like you're talking about money or like scary tickers and stuff on the bottom of the screen. So what is the new normal more specifically? I think that entrepreneurialism is really winning in this recession. You are a winner, Jess, of
0: this recession. I got through this recession as an entrepreneur, which was incredibly hard and just meant a lot of scrappiness. But yes, I got through it.
1: I think your spirit is one that a lot of women share. And when I was reporting, sort of at the forefront of, This new normal, I saw this entrepreneurial spirit really strong, alive, and well. And that, you know, women especially were annoyed with what we saw in the news. It was furloughs every other day. Equity in your house wasn't what it used to be. The sort of like picket fence. BS wasn't relevant to them. So they wanted to be Sarah Blakely, or they wanted to be like a Mark Zuckerberg and they wanted to open an alpaca farm or a chocolate shop or follow their dream and follow their destiny and, you know, be paid in happiness. And so that's, That's what I saw. I saw, you know, women just like you wanting to create their own destiny and their own path forward. And I wanted to reflect in like what I spoke about when it came to money. It's not your mama's finance lesson. It's your finance lesson. It's your financial life. And I wanted to put the personal in personal finance, baby.
0: And I think you're preaching to everyone listening right now. Not everyone has their own business or is interested in this audience, but there is a strong streak of creativity and designing a life that you really want that is about your values. Let's talk about how to get these financial lives in shape What do you think we need to work on?
1: Rich Bitch is a 12-step program. And the first step, like other 12-step programs, is admitting you have a problem. And I think it's just being honest with yourself. And we all have issues and we've all messed up along the way. And I think it's first like admitting you have a problem and then dealing with it and realize that personal finance is not compartmentalized into your checkbook. It touches all of your goals in life. So if you come up with your relationship goals, your work goals, your fun goals, all of that requires money. In order to achieve your goals, you're going to need money for the life you want. Changing your mindset and realizing that it's not about deprivation, it's about aspiration, you're not on a budget, you're thinking of a spending plan, that you're really investing in yourself, I think it is the first step to really getting on the right track. And it's not about cutting out a latte I mean I argue for the latte I make the case for your morning latte you can buy your coffee and still get to your money goals because in a lot of ways a financial diet is like a regular diet if you allow yourself small indulgences you won't binge later on allow yourself a Hershey's kiss so you don't end up in the fridge noshing on a big old hunk of chocolate cake admitting you
0: have a problem I could imagine some people listening and going I don't think I have a problem with finances what do you mean by it
1: we all have problems. We all have issues when it comes to personal finance. You know, this is not something we learned about in school. We don't really talk about it with friends. Whether it's debt, whether it's negotiating your bills, I'm sure a lot of folks listening don't negotiate their bills every quarter. That's money that you might be saving. So I think take extra time out and find money in your social network. Make that work for you. Ask for a raise and get it. Those are all not necessarily massive problems, but they're opportunities as well. And that stuff that nobody tells you about money. So I wanted to say, this is not a closed door, locked club with fancy red ropes that you can't get into. In fact, I've been into this finance club and I'm here to tell you about it. And I'm here to tell you all the stuff that no one's going to tell you.
0: Once we have admitted the problem, and I like this shift of mindset from budget to spending plan,
1: what do we do next? I think you realize that whether it's starting a business or you are living and paying bills, you are running your own financial empire. So you should be a champion of yourself, whether it is starting a podcast or writing a book. I want you to be excited and empowered about your financial life because it really encompasses all aspects of your life from having relationships to having the talk with your significant other about money you know it's not about math it's not about numbers you don't need to be an expert I think personal finance is most interesting when you understand that it's directly linked to your life goals and it's not over your head and that you should just get over any fear you might have of money. And the only way to do that is to really understand and speak this language.
0: Is there two things that we should really be doing as an action that's specific to money?
1: it really depends on your personal situation but like i talked about before i think you should be negotiating everything everything in life is negotiable your medical bills are negotiable your cable bills are negotiable that's something that you should just be doing right now if you want to come up with your 3 e's is what i call it essentials end game and extras it's a really easy way to organize what you have and what you're spending into that spending plan so essentials should just incorporate 70% of your monthly income, so all the essential stuff that you're spending in your rent, your utilities, your transportation, your food. The end game is really what you want out of your life, so that's retirement. It's starting a new business. It's you know going on a sweet vacation, whatever that is, Think of it as not a drag that you're going to have to take extra money out of your hard-earned paycheck, but think of it as investing into yourself and that pays most dividends later on. And then it's extras. And I think 10 15% of your gross monthly income should go to extras like a latte, like a candy bar, like a coach purse, whatever it is. I think that as long as you account for it, it's above board and you don't feel deprived and you stay more on track that way.
0: Is there anything else, any new trends you're seeing in the financial world or markets that we should be taking advantage of?
1: I think that you should just realize that there is no one size fits all and that the world has changed from your mama's finance lesson into really rethinking conventional financial wisdom and being able to think for yourself. Like not everyone should buy a house. It's not the ultimate end all be all to financial freedom. I think you should just rethink that and see if it's right for you. I don't think 401ks are right for everyone. So I just think that what's the biggest trend right now is realizing that it's not a one size fits all answer and there's no gospel. Even what I talk about, you know, you should be rethinking. I think it's just about remembering that that like peanuts voice in your head, wah, 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 buy a house, get a 401k, wah, 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 wah. It might not apply to you. It might, but just don't take it as 100% truism. That's really powerful.
0: What doubts or internal resistance have you had to overcome or face recently or in the past? Oh my gosh, Jess.
1: (laughs) That's probably not the type of interview you're used to having. No, I love it. I love it. Internal doubts. Oh my goodness. My biggest anxiety really comes around a very basic question for myself which is what do you want to do? And it sounds very simple, but I would always have anxiety around that topic because I couldn't create a very clear narrative for myself. And once I did that, my anxiety lessened. It hasn't totally gone away. I haven't totally been reformed. It's a journey for all of us. But I think, you know, my family goals were one of them. I had a mentor who was on the news and she's, you know, very well known and respected. I won't name her, but because that's not the point of the story. The point is, you know, that she had called me and actually asked me not about being on air with her, but about whether or not I wanted to get married. And I was totally surprised that this was a topic she wanted to talk about. And she said, if you want to get married, you need to make that a goal. And I said, that's crazy because you can't make marriage a goal. Like you find somebody, you meet them, like their love is not a equation. And she said, no, you know, you need to create a narrative for yourself. So you focus and you feel less out of control and those goals change and allow yourself to change them. But if you write something down, if you come up with one, three, five, seven, ten 10 year goals, it doesn't feel as chaotic. So family goals are a really important part of my game plan. And that was, you know, that I did want to get married. And that was actually saying that for myself because I would feel a lot of anxiety when people asked me that question. So I, you know, I wrote down my goals and I changed them when I met somebody. And then I changed them when that somebody had a child and was married on his own. And, you know, it doesn't happen exactly as you plan. But I think that small question would always give me internal struggle, even though it sounds very simple.
0: So fascinating because no one's ever said that as one of their resistances before. But I've heard this a lot from listeners and people that write and email me that there is this pressure about figuring out what they want to do. You know, you said in your interview at, what, 19, my dream is before I die. <laughs> so if you had CNN, here you are 21 at CNN. And like you said, I didn't die. So then I had to keep going. Is that part of what made that question frustrating or scary for you is because it seemed like a lot of the stuff that you wanted happened so much quicker than maybe you might have expected it to?
1: Yeah, it was something that I was like, I'm focusing on my career right now. And and she really sat me down. And she was like, you need to make goals for this part of your life too. And it's fine if things change. But when I first wrote them down, my goals were like, you know, year one, make time for dates, even when I was exhausted. It was as simple as that. And, you know, it was like year three, date one person seriously. Those were just goals. Like, I didn't know what would happen, but I just wrote it down for myself. So it didn't feel as out of control. And, you know, I think when it comes back to money, even getting married or having kids, you need to have money for that. <laughs> it sounds like, hello, thank you, Captain Obvious. But it's part of a bigger picture as to, like, I'm sorry, you can't be a trauma surgeon and a full time mom. Like, it just, those aren't compatible. So I think it's about looking at your life in its totality and not compartmentalizing any particular part of it.
0: I can totally relate. I may have issues having children possibly or probably even do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I've always known I had to kind of be proactive in that area. And I always told myself my, I guess, marker would be around 30 and I'm 30 now. And then we told ourselves this year and maybe we will. I'm not someone who's going to beat around the bush when it comes to that journey with the audience that's listening. I don't feel that way about hiding it, but I will say I haven't felt now that I'm here, right? So I had the goal and I had it all sort of mapped out as far as trying to have two kids, not knowing what the health issues might be or what that journey may look like, not trying to waste too much time, but also knowing I'm not in a danger zone of never having children at all right now by any means. It's interesting because you have to kind of set those markers in your life. But then don't just march forward blindly just because the marker's there if your present moment reality hasn't matched it yet.
1: I a thousand percent agree. Like, I really appreciate you opening up about that. I think that I am in a similar situation in that for me, by the time I was 30, I also thought, oh, I would be married and have kids. Well, you know, when I was 27, I met a guy who was already married and has a daughter. And so we lived together. My goals then changed. So it was about reserving the right to amend those goals as life happened.
0: I think that's important to think about because there can be this paralyzing pressure if you put these goals out in the sand, especially so far ahead. Sometimes it can do more damage than good because it tortures your present reality, even though nothing is wrong right now. You're like, oh my God, if I don't do the X, Y, and Z now that I'm not going to get to this arbitrary mark in the sand that I set out for myself years ago. So I think there's a balance.
1: No. And somebody who's in my office listening, she's like, Nicole, you need to be clear that he was divorced. (laughs) He (laughs) wasn't (laughs) married Okay, Jess, in case that wasn't clear, he then was divorced. She was married, but divorced. But the point is that in your mind, you come up with this kind of, oh, well, we're obviously going to start a life together. And, you know, the person you meet, you will have kids together for the first time. It doesn't, you know, like being a step-parent doesn't kind of factor into that dream that you have of this, you know, when reality hits, life is more complicated. And that's definitely what happened to me.
0: Absolutely. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey?
1: Look, I think the struggles that we have are the things that link us all and that's the human condition and and the more you're open and honest, the more respect and the more traction I think you will get with your message. And for me it was so important to be really honest with my former self who was clueless about the language of money, who was able to speak it and then say, "Okay, Now, stop smiling and nodding. And I wish my former self knew to ask questions when she didn't understand what was being talked about or was confident enough to tell her boyfriend, I don't know what a hedge fund is. I didn't start as early as I should with that confidence and that self-esteem. So I just want... Your listeners and my readers, and I think they're one in the same, by the way, to find that confidence earlier than I did. And I hope that from some of my trials and tribulations and my mess- ups along the way, I hope by me opening my heart and being raw and authentic, I hope that helps somebody earlier than than I figured it out.
0: Confidence isn't about having the answers. It's about being able to ask the questions.
1: Absolutely. And being able to admit you know what you don't know. And for me, yeah, confidence is not about like a smarty pants know it all voice of God. It's just about being real and mostly about the flaws and the issues that you have. Because the sooner you are comfortable in that, I think the more you're going to have your message resonate, whatever that message is, whether you're working for somebody else, you're working for yourself, you're writing a book, you're reading a book, whatever your message is or whatever your goal is, the more authentic you can be, the better.
0: That is so well said. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jess. You're amazing. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And, Nicole, thank you for coming on the show. If you would like to connect with Nicole and thank her for coming on the show, you can go over to Twitter. Her handle is at Nicole Lappin, L-A-P-I-N. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as well at Jess, C is in Chicago, lively. If you'd like to check out the show notes and resources for this episode, you can go over to JessLively.com slash Nicole Lapin. And before I share who's coming up next week on the show for money month, we're talking with Melanie Abrantes about Squarespace.com. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm
2: so happy to be here.
0: And I'm happy to have you here to share you and your awesome site and products. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: My name's Melanie, and I am a designer and maker living in the Bay Area. I have my studio in Oakland, and I make cork and wood products.
0: Tell us about your site, MelanieAbrontis.com. What do you specifically sell, and how did you get started?
2: So I sell cork and wood products and I mostly work with home goods. So I do cake stands to planters to even vases. And um, the reason why I started is because growing up, I'm half Portuguese and I always saw cork in Portugal. And it was something that I found really unusual as a product, but they use it for everything. I really enjoyed it. And so I really knew that when I graduated, I wanted to use cork as a product of mine because mostly of my culture and heritage.
0: That's awesome. I didn't know cork was such a big part of Portugal.
2: Yeah, it's about 80% of the revenue. So they they produce a lot of it.
0: <laughs> 80% of the revenue that is crazy. How long ago did you get started with your business?
2: So, I started around 2 years ago, kind of just with something that I was doing on the side, and then I just kind of had a really great start by going to a craft show and Squarespace was something that I really enjoyed using mostly because it was something I needed when I was on the kind of on a time crunch. So they were able to really let me have a beautiful website in a short amount of time. And then obviously it just was something that ended up developing as I went and it really worked out because I was able to use just my own photos. And then I later on was able to use a professional photographer. So everything ended up looking as beautiful as it does today.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really does look amazing. How do you think other people can get their sights to look as awesome as yours?
2: I would definitely recommend just having a really great photographer and having knowing exactly what you kind of want. Squarespace makes it easy for you to really get a cohesive and beautiful site up, so it's not that much work, and it only really took me a couple days. And I always recommend it to my own friends. I think a couple of my friends actually use it because even though I did graphic design, I am not a web designer, so it was really something that helped out because I, wasn't, I didn't have to hire anyone and I could do everything myself, which is always really... Great, especially when you're starting a business.
0: Absolutely. So, what do you love about Squarespace the most?
2: Um, I really love the functions that you're able to use. Such large photos. Since I'm such a visual person, being a designer, it was something that I really enjoyed. I'm not the best writer, so I was able to really tell my story through photos alone. And also, it's just really one of those things where it looks so professional and you did it yourself. So it's just the the factor that it is so easy to put up a website.
0: What would you tell people thinking about building a new blog or website?
2: I would definitely recommend Squarespace and I would tell you to really look into what you could do visually with it.
0: And for people who are considering starting their own blog or website, Squarespace has a special Lively Show offer. You can get 10% off of your service going forward as well as a free 14-day trial by going to squarespace.com slash lively and then when it comes time to check out after you've tried it for 14 days and really got your site up the way you'd like it or on its journey to getting to where you want it to be, you can use the code lively at checkout to get that 10% off. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can
2: people go to find you and your beautiful pieces? They can either find me on my website at melanieabrantes.com or on Instagram at Melanie Abrontes Designs.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And now for a sneak peek, next week I will be speaking with Hillary Rushford of the Dean Street Society. Hillary is someone who many of you guys may know online. She is a stylist and a business expert, especially around the topic of Instagram. She's going to be coming on to talk about all the ways over the years that she has made money online. In fact, this is a two-part episode. The first half is with Hillary, and then the second episode, which will be the week after Hillary's episode is with Jesse Artigue of styleandpepper.com talking about all of the ways that she has made money online. This will be a great two-part episode for anyone who is looking to make money online. And it's also good for anyone who is just kind of fascinated about how people make money online. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.